Thanks indeed uh, to Bethany for that. Uh, we look forward to hearing from her in just a few moments again. It is good to see each one inside tonight. We bid you welcome in the Saviour's name. And indeed to those joining us online, we bid you welcome also. And trust that the Lord will bless your heart and encourage you as you fellowship together with us. Do be mindful of the program for the week ahead as it lies before us in the will of the Lord. Tuesday evening at 8 p.m. for Bible class as we continue our series in the Covenants of the Scriptures. And so we're coming back Tuesday evening uh, to consider Ezekiel chapter 16 that we commenced last uh, Tuesday evening. And then on Thursday at 8 p.m. is a prayer meeting, the assembly prayer meeting, and so set aside that time to come and to pray even for the needs of the assembly here and indeed the needs of your own family and further afield also. Friday, uh, Friday at 10 a.m. for the Mums and Tots, 6.45 for the Good News Club, and 8.15 for the BYF, and do be praying for all of these ministries on Friday. Saturday at 2 p.m., sees the outreach team back in the streets of the town, and let's be faithful in holding that ministry up week after week before the Lord. Just a reminder, of course, to 16 to 25-year-olds that next Sunday evening uh, sees your monthly meeting, and so we're looking forward to that, and do set that time aside to come and fellowship together after the evening service next Sunday evening. We noted this morning the harvest weekend as it lies before us on Saturday the 8th and Sunday the 9th of October in the will of the Lord. And on Saturday the 8th takes the form of a praise night and the junior choir will be singing at that service and there'll be a supper afterwards. And we noted as well this morning there'll be a special offering collected for aid in Ukraine. And so let's prepare our hearts even to give at that special harvest praise night on Saturday the 8th beginning at 7 p.m. And Nigel Kissick is the speaker that evening, and let's be praying for our brother as he prepares even to come and speak in that hour. Sunday then, we'll see a visit from Trevor Galanders from Abbott's Cross Congregational, and he's with us both morning and evening, and in the morning service, the church choir will be singing, and in the evening service, the BYF choir will be singing as well, and let's be praying for all concerned there, that the Lord will bless even in the preparations for that, and if you still uh, would like to join the choirs, it's not too late, and if you speak to Leonard Doreen about that, uh, they'll be glad to give you the necessary uh, information, Uh, but let's be praying for the choirs as they prepare for that very special weekend indeed. Just before Bethany comes and ministers to us again, we're going to stand to our feet and sing together. Years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me he died on Calvary. We'll stand together to sing, please.
like to ask Bethany to come again at this time, please.
Turning in our Bibles this evening to Luke's Gospel in the chapter 16, please. Luke's Gospel in the chapter 16. Once more, we say thank you to Bethany indeed for that ministry and song to our hearts tonight. We pray that the Lord will continue to bless her and use her in his service. Luke's Gospel in the chapter 16, we're going to read together from the verse 19 of the chapter. We'll read down through to the close of the chapter. But reading together from the verse 19, and the Word of God says, There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen, and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. Came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And said Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead." And in our reading there at the verse 31. As we come to this passage tonight, we do so, of course, embarking upon a series for a number of weeks here in our evening service on the theme of hell. And in doing so tonight, we do come to this passage not in any way to be sensationalist, not in any way attempting to or desiring to scare anyone as to what the Bible reveals about this place that we call hell. But nevertheless, we come to it bearing a solemn responsibility, for this is a Bible truth, and it is something that has been given to us, each one, that we might be aware of that which God has said very clearly awaits all those who know not Him. And so coming tonight, we do so not in any way delighted to do so, not in any way joyful to do so, not in any way even looking forward to do so. But nevertheless, it remains a duty in the gospel to be true to the Word of God and to preach even this theme as it's found given to us in the Word of God. And so we come to this passage tonight, and the one thing that stands out to me above everything else is a truth that is true about you, also true about me, and that is this, 10 seconds After I die, I will know how I should have lived my life. 
10 seconds after I die, I will know how I should have lived my life. You see, to the believer, that has one meaning. For awaking there in the splendor of heaven and beholding the beauty of the Lamb that is revealed to us as being Jesus Christ, surely up there we'll wish we had given him more. But coming to it in the gospel and referring to the unbeliever primarily in the message that we bring tonight, then there is this reality that 10 seconds after you die, you will have realized the great spurning of opportunity that has occurred many a time, perhaps even tonight. As the truth of the gospel has been shared with you, as the Word of God has been opened, and as your need of a Savior has been exposed to you, yet you have remained outside of Christ, lost, dying, perishing in your sin. And there in that moment, you'll wish you had one more chance. See, as we come to consider the theme of hell over the next number of Sunday nights, we come to consider a literal, literal place. Just as we said this morning, heaven was an identifiable place as you can pinpoint on a map where London is, as you can pinpoint where Belfast is, as you can pinpoint many other grand places in our world. So too, heaven itself is a literal place that one day the believer shall travel from this earth to be with the Lord forever. So too, hell. Hell is not just annihilation. Hell is not just a moment of instantaneous combustion where the unbeliever simply evaporates, never to be seen, never to be know any existence again. No, hell is a dwelling place. Hell is a residing place. Hell is a place where those who die and are without Christ shall spend all of eternity as great as unfathomable that may be. Three words are given to us in the Scriptures that deal with hell. The first of these is the Hebrew word sheol, given to us 65 times in Old Testament Scriptures. In the Greek, we have the word Hades given to us 11 times, and that speaks of a pit. It speaks of hell. Or perhaps the one that is most pertinent to our discussion throughout these next number of Sunday nights is the word Gehenna which has a reference back to Old Testament times as well as a New Testament meaning communicating exactly the same truth. The word Gehenna is more commonly associated in Old Testament times with the Valley of Hinnom, a place where the fires of Molech were burning, a, f- a place where sadly Israelites sent their children to pass through those fires, where there was much wailing, where there was much weeping, where there was much suffering. But nevertheless, as we come to Gehenna, it's a word that is always synonymous with a place of judgment by fire. And when we speak of hell, that's exactly what we are referring to. And that is exactly what the Word of God reveals to us, for hell is the place of the final judgment of the unbeliever. The final unending judgment of the unbeliever. And so as we come to this passage tonight, we see, of course, this reference to hell that's given to us. For here we see that one of the individuals that are uh, found in this account end up there. So what do we find 
that is pertinent for our discussion tonight about hell within this passage? Well, first of all, I want us to notice two funerals. The Bible tells us in verse 22 of the chapter, it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Here we see a reference to these two individuals we're introduced to in verses 19 through 21, a rich man clothed in purple fine linen who fared sumptuously every day, and on the other hand, a man by the name of Lazarus who simply sat at the gate begging each and every day, covered in sores. One who knew little in regards to the wealth of this world or indeed the luxury of this world. But nevertheless, these are the two men with whom this story is concerned about. These are the two men we are introduced to right at the outset of this account. But there comes a day, as will come into all of our experience, a day when life is no longer. A day whenever they passed from this life to the next. A day whenever the body died and whenever all that was known was known no longer. And so the day of their death arrived. And the Bible simply records here how Lazarus, this man who was covered in boils, this man who no doubt had emaciated skin, was unattractive to the eye, as many passed by him time after time as he was laid at this rich man's gate, nevertheless this disease-ridden man here on earth was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. That's a reference for us, is it not, of uh, a place of peace, a place of acceptance, a place of warmth, a place of fellowship. It's testifying to us of the reality of heaven. It's testifying to us of that which awaits those who know the Lord Jesus Christ and who are sure and confident of an acceptance in the beloved. So the funeral of of Lazarus occurred, but the Bible has little to mention about it. No doubt he simply was taken from the roadside or taken from where he died and cast on the city pile because unceremoniously was the end of all those who had little money, especially in the times of which we're speaking. But the Bible tells us that the rich man also died and was buried. Now note there the distinction is made for Lazarus simply dies and nothing more of his earthly journey is accounted for. No, rather we're speaking of a spiritual journey, that by which he is born and by the angels into Abraham's bosom. But there in the rich man's experience, as his life comes to an end, it very clearly identifies the truth that this man was taken and buried. Here was one who had money. Here was one who had wealth. Here was one who was well-known throughout the community in which he lived, one who received a burial here on earth that was befitting of his physical and practical circumstances here on earth. Nevertheless, as the account goes on, we see there is much more to it than all of this. For whilst two funerals are identified, The Bible goes on to tell us about two futures. For there in verse 23, it tells us, continuing this story of the rich man, that he being in hell, lift up his eyes, being in torments. All the pomp and ceremony that was experienced here on earth, it's left far behind. And the reality of his eternity is now clear. This is his moment 
10 seconds after he dies. This is his reality. As life here comes to an end and eternity is now known, he being in hell, lift up his eyes, being in torment. What a sad tale there is that's told here of this rich man. One who knew what it was to be in pain, in suffering, to dwell in that place of great horror. One who was conscious, fully conscious of that which was unfolding all around him and of the pain that he was now experiencing. Abraham himself testifies of that which is the experience of the rich man at the end of verse 25 when he tells the rich man, Thou art tormented. Unending pain. Unending suffering. What we are led to believe was a life of ease here on earth where every need was supplied, when every want was supplied, now turns out to be an eternity of never-ending pain. Not only that, but we identify the separation. Because he lifts up his eyes and he sees Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. He says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and I are tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from hence. Great separation is in view. Oh, great suffering is identifiable, but great separation is also recognizable. For here he finds himself in hell, a place between which him and Lazarus, who is being comforted, exists a great chasm that cannot be breached, that cannot be bridged. Oh, he desires that one would pass from heaven to where he is. He desires that that comfort may be known even with just a little drop of water, but nevertheless, eternal separation is now his reality. And Abraham says, no. No longer can you pass from here to there. No longer can I come from here to there. And so we see he's there in pain and suffering. He's there in separation. But there he's there dealing with a sobering reality. Never once does this rich man complain. Never once does he say he doesn't deserve to be in that place of suffering and torment. Never once does he raise the question as to why this will be his eternal reality. His mind and his heart has sobered up to the reality that this was his just reward. That his life spent upon earth was but just for a brief moment. And the evidence of that which is portrayed to us was that it was a life spent in vain. But now forever and a day he will experience the wrath of God 
that was a just reward for his sin. So he's experiencing suffering. He's recognizing the separation. He's dealing with that sobering reality. But look at the experience of Lazarus. For the Bible tells us very clearly in verse 22 that as he died, he was born of the angels into Abraham's bosom. He was in heaven. He was experiencing joy like never before. Abraham testifies of that, does he not, whenever he says that he is comforted. One who knew little comfort in the world, one who enjoyed little comfort in his own life's experience, taken each and every day and unceremoniously dumped outside the rich man's gate. One who had only uh, crumbs to feast and feed upon. One who knew, no, uh, no doubt, many days whenever those material needs themselves were not even uh, more than adequately met. But nevertheless, his eternal reality is completely different to all that he experienced here on earth. For his eternal reality is that he is there in the place of delight. He's there in that place of joy and of rest. He's there with the saints who have gone on before. He's there enjoying the comforts that are promised in the Word of God to all who believe in Him, to all who are faithful to Him. So the two contrasts that are in view here couldn't be any more starker. For on the one hand, you have Lazarus, who knows all of the promise of God in the Scriptures to the believer, becoming a reality in his life's experience. And on the other hand, you have the rich man, living through, experiencing for himself that which the Bible clearly testifies is the deserved reward of the sinner. We live in a world where hell is simply a descriptive term that's used for what you and I consider to be Extreme atrocities. Perhaps it's in wartime. Perhaps it's when natural disasters strike. Perhaps it's at a time whenever explosions occur or some unplanned event enters in. There's many, maybe many, many deaths, much devastation. Very often you hear even the reporters or those who are seeking to describe such an event describe it as being hell on earth. Or another usage of hell in our common vernacular is, of course, as a swear word, a derogatory statement telling us politely and in no uncertain terms where to go whenever one is fed up with our company or indeed our conversation. Perhaps it's a term of frustration, glibly used as some sort of oath to be uttered whenever things aren't quite going your way or whenever you're not getting what you want. But nevertheless, as we come to consider hell tonight, we come to consider something that conjures up an image in everyone's mind. An image that despite the efforts and attempts of the wicked one, 
remains unchanged throughout the generations. But I tell you tonight that even that image, image of events and occurrences that you and I would never wish to experience in our own lives here on earth, goes no way to explaining what the reality of hell is like for those who dwell there tonight. So you see, two funerals and two futures. But I want us to consider two families tonight. Because this isn't a a parable I submit to you. This, I believe, is a real-life story. And tonight, there in hell remains the rich man that you and I read of. This was a real man who lived a life upon this earth and who left a legacy and then who came to an eternal reality. And whenever we deal with the family of Lazarus, there's not much given to us here in the Word of God to refer to. Perhaps it's true to say that the dogs that are described here were simply this man's best friends, because they're the only mention of those who ever came near to where he was. They came and licked his wounds. They came and sat where he was and spent time even in his presence. And so nothing is given to us of Lazarus's family. And indeed, when it came, of course, to his funeral, we've already remarked that there's nothing mentioned there of any grand pomp, ceremony, pomp and ceremony given to him upon his death. But on the other hand, we are told much indeed about this rich man in comparison to what we are told of Lazarus. The Bible reveals that he had five brothers. The Bible reveals here that He had five brothers who were close to him and that he cared for. So as we identify his family and as we identify this rich man as being a real-life person who lived upon the face of this earth, we identify five people who are heavy upon his heart as he spends those moments in hell that are recorded for us in this passage. And calling out to Abraham in that moment, realizing that that which he desired in the moment, just a drop of water, was not going to be given to him, he then turns his focus and attention upon the five brethren who are left behind. And oh, there in the reality of the torment and the torture that he is experiencing, and oh, there in the, uh, the separation that he is becoming accustomed to and that sobering reality that, yes, the truth that was revealed to him in the days of, that he lived here upon this earth were, in fact, that which he should have taken on board, that which he should have applied to his life. He now summons up all the courage and all the desire in his heart and he says to Abraham, oh, let someone go and tell those that I care about, those that I love, not to come to this place called hell. Can I tell you tonight that some of the greatest preachers that could ever be known are found in hell tonight? 
never preached a sermon in all of their days here on earth, but would be more than willing to stand before you tonight and to preach a sermon that would be so gripping and I tell you a tale that would be so unparalleled as to what you have heard and experienced in this world that it would shake you to your very core. Why? Because their message would be, whatever you do, don't come to hell. But you see, that will never occur. Because Abraham says they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And despite the overwhelming evidence that could be gathered from those who have spent years already in that place called hell, who have experienced that suffering, that separation, and come to terms with that sobering reality, nevertheless, the design of God is that faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, and this is all you're going to get. Because given here in the Word of God is enough to warn you of that which lies before. And oh, think for a moment of those who have passed away in your life, lost and dying in their sin. And surely their clamor, their call to you tonight is, hear the words whereby you might be saved. It's interesting to note in verse 27 that he says these words, I pray thee, therefore, Father. So many men and women live upon this earth and never give thought to God. Never have time for God's word. That, I suggest to you, is a right description of this rich man based upon all that we're is revealed to us about him in God's Word. But nevertheless, he realizes the value of prayer in hell. He realizes that there was something about that which he had heard from Moses and the prophets. He realizes the truth of the existence of God, the reality of sin, the opportunity that exists only in this life to find peace with God. And so tonight as hell is preached, tonight as the torments and the suffering are presented once more, Tonight, as the message from hell itself is heard and received, do not come here. What will it be for you? We live in a time whenever there is yet the opportunity to believe, the opportunity to turn from sin to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for salvation? Will you do that tonight? Will you, before your earthly life will come to an end, your earthly journey is over, will you turn to Him 
the only one who can save you from your sin, deliver you from an eternity in hell. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. We stand to your feet to sing together, please.